0: Jumping off my Chinese house. Two ducks must by glass for else about city. Suey nature is nature thing. It's nature Welcome to Yarns at Yen hu a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 229 Holler and yell. Sunday, August 4th, 2019. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. And each time I record an episode, I post show notes, photographs, and links to things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. Today's episode features the following segments, the back porch, the front porch, and so forth. And we'll conclude with an August poem on Off the Shelf. Hello everyone and welcome. It's been a lovely summery several weeks since I last recorded an episode. My summer has kept me very close to home with a Yinhu bathroom renovation project it would have been easier if we began without any bathroom at all, because about three-quarters of the time we've spent on the project so far, we've spent on demolition and redoing and firming up things that had deteriorated over many years. Yinhu, uh Yinhu Chai Wan, Silver Lake Tea House is my home it was not built as a residence it was built as a tea room and gift shop and in the 70s it was converted very shoddily in my opinion to a single family residence and there were some techniques used especially in the bathroom which were highly questionable like cutting a floor joist to accommodate plumbing for a bathtub And they resulted in a lot of leaks and damage over the years. So I learned a lot about sistering in uh, and we've spent a lot of time on structural things. So now we are actually putting the bathroom back together and beginning more exciting things like tile and picking out plumbing fixtures and all those kinds of things. Uh, It's been dirty and difficult work and very inconvenient since we have only one bathroom, but I try to keep perspective and keep in mind that it's also a luxury to be able to dedicate months during the summer working on a home improvement project and keep focused on how beautiful it's going to be when it's all done. (laughs) So I haven't strayed far from home and I've just been able to work in actually quite a bit of crafting around my work schedule. Um, Some nights I've just been too tired to really even pick up my needles, Um, but other times I've been able to get quite a lot done. And we're coming up on a sort of week and a half hiatus where Samuel has some gigs with Bovine Social Club and... Some floor tile is drying and setting, so we're kind of taking a little mini break from work on the bathroom, and I'm able to pursue some of my projects and do things like visit Hope's favorite things on Saturday morning and go over for a chat, help her update her website and classes a little bit, and schedule some classes of my own. So I have two classes coming up that I want to tell you about and I will link of course in the show notes. One is a suspended spindle class on October 5th. It's a Saturday 10 to 1. Uh, You can bring any sort of spindle you would like. I will also provide spindles and Hope has spindles for sale at the shop in a variety of different types. Um, If you've always wanted to learn how to use a Turkish spindle. This could be ideal. I think it's a great beginner spindle. Um, and we'll work on drafting fiber, plying, using the park and draft method. Uh, it's a great introductory spindle class three hours on a Saturday morning. The other class is on November fourteenth. It's an evening class six to eight thirty. And the focus is on tubular cast-on and bind-off. It's uh, a technique that I hold near and dear. I think it gives a wonderful professional finish to all kinds of things you could be making. And what we will do during the class is we'll work on larger needles, like moderately sized needles, and DK or worsted weight yarn. And we will um, knit a Coffee Cozy. But in that project we will practice all of the cast on skills and all of the bind off skills and the shifting from one by one to two by two and so even though you will leave with something very small you will take with you sort of an arsenal of different skills that you could apply to other projects and I'll have samples and things that we can look at and talk about. Uh, That's a Thursday evening class November 14th and Hope has evening hours on Thursdays at the shop. Um, So that's a great way to see the shop. And I think we'll probably be having the class in the Wool School, which is an old converted schoolhouse, like a one-room schoolhouse, that was moved to the property where Hope has the store. And she has recently renovated it, and it's an absolutely incredible space for learning classes and conviviality I think I talked about it quite a bit when I was taking the class with Cal Patch uh, because that's the space we utilized and it's a lot of fun so like I said I'll link this information in the show notes and my classes are certainly not the only ones that Hope is running there are some basket weaving classes coming up um, and some beginning spinning classes Lots of good stuff, so if you are local to Easton, PA area, uh, you may want to check it out because Hope's Favorite Things could be a great place to extend and expand your learning. The Back Porch I'm so pleased that I was able to complete the spinning project I had set up for myself for Tour de Fleece. The tour ended on July 28th, and I completed soaking and um, drying my spinning on the 27th, I believe. My goal was to spin three-ply two ways and come out with a fingering weight yarn that I could use to knit beautifully striped socks, a la Joanna Spring of Knitspin Farm. I've been wanting to do this for quite a while, and I am quite pleased with the spinning. I started with absolutely gorgeous wool bamboo silk blend fiber from Ingle Nook Fibers in the plum pudding colorway, lots of purples and browns, totally up my alley. And lovely to spin. Um, The challenge was spinning very thin and very consistent so that in particular that chain ply would be consistent. I ended up with 170 yards of chain ply and that's in a long um, long bands of color and then 180 yards of a traditional three ply. That's a lot of barber pulling, constant color changing going on. So I was pleased with that because um, 170 yards, 180 yards, pretty consistent between the two types of spinning. And also for my traditional three ply, I finished up one bobbin and there was very little left on the other two. It's almost impossible to get an exact match in your spinning, but I did weigh the fiber before I was spinning it, and I'm really happy with um, the little bit of waste that I have, and I can just two-ply that and use it for a different project later. But I used up almost all of the fiber that I spun and I forgot that this, this braid was 5.3 ounces, I think, but there was a substantial amount of a very bright lime green, and I used that green sparingly. I would say I have maybe a quarter of an ounce, maybe even more, um, left of that lime green, and I'll just spin that on my spindle spinning and incorporate it in another project that I have in mind. Um, But I didn't spin the entire braid for this project. My yarn, I would say, so that's 350 yards altogether uh, for about 5 ounces. I think it tends more to the sport weight, heavy fingering. It's not quite as fine as fingering yarn that I traditionally use to knit socks, So, in order not to have, like, bulletproof fabric, I think when I knit these socks, I will need to go up to a US 1. I usually knit my socks on zeros and maybe decrease to 60 stitches um, for a traditional, you know, sort of sock that would fit me and most of the people that I give socks to. So, I'll have to... Swatch, And by swatch, I mean knit a sock and see if it works uh, and see how that works out. And I'll also have to play around a little bit with how much striping I want to do and how wide the stripes should be. I think Joanna Spring knits stripes of three or four rounds. So I'd like to start there and see how it looks. Um, And I'm really excited to... Uh, skein up that handspun in the future and start knitting some socks with it and see how they come out. Since I didn't have US 1 DPNs, I have only zeros now. I thought I had a set of ones um, and I don't know what I did with them and I don't use wooden Needles for sock knitting because I would just snap them all in a matter of minutes. While I wait to acquire some US1 DPNs or maybe flexi flips, I've just been dreaming about more spinning projects and thinking about knitting more with hand spun that I've already produced. So I'm already In the throes of planning for a next spinning project, I mentioned in a previous episode that I have a number, I would say 30 to 40 right now, little turtles that I've pulled off Turkish spindles. I spin nearly every day a little bit on a Turkish spindle as sort of a meditative spinning process. And over time, I've accumulated quite a few in all different colors. A lot of the fiber that I spin is from Hobbledy Hoy Batlings, but I spin sample fibers, I spin leftover bits from projects, and it's just been accumulating and I've been turning over in my mind what I could do with it. And then I received a wonderful package in the mail from Sarah P.A. Knitwit, She sent me uh, a beautiful uh, braid of Southern Cross Fiber. I must have mentioned somewhere along the line that it's something that I've always wanted to spin and I've never been able to get my hands on any Southern Cross Fiber. And she picked some from her stash. She was kind of paring down and sent it along. It's in wonderful, dark, moody colors. And I think... My next big spinning project will involve spinning that quite fine on my wheel and then plying all manner of little turtles from my Turkish spindles to get a wonderful barber pole and, you know, sort of color changing mania throughout and then using that yarn to knit some interesting accessory project Uh, will probably be enough for, I don't know, uh, a big shawl, a nice cowl, something like that. Um, And it will be quite a fine yarn because my spinning on the Turkish spindles is quite fine. I was sharing with some friends that I have this spinning sitting around these singles, and Emily of Fivertown mentioned that maybe I would need to think about renewing the twist on them after they sat around for so long, at which thought I I kind of panicked. Um, And I'm wondering if any of you have experience with going to ply singles from a Turkish spindle have been sitting around for more than a year. Because I'm anticipating this will be a Tour de Fleece project next July. And at that point, some of these Turkish spindle cops will be two years old. And I'm wondering if I should worry um, if there's anything that I will need to do to work with the twist before I start plying now one of the plies of the yarn will be really fresh because I'll be spinning that southern cross fiber on my wheel and that will be you know newly minted singles so I'm wondering if the that could be sort of like the backbone the strength and then these other singles from the Turkish spindles you know could just sort of follow along, and not necessarily do a lot of work. I don't know. I'm wondering. Um, they definitely don't have a lot of strength, and that's part of their beauty. Singles that I hand spin on my Turkish single on my Turkish spindles are—they're sort of soft and delicate. They don't have a ton of twist, and that's what makes them so. Lovely to knit with, Um, but if it's going to drift apart a lot, maybe I'll have to do something proactive. So, if you have experience and wisdom that you could share in this regard, I would be most appreciative. In the meantime, as I said, I just started thinking about hand spun that's in my stash. I don't have a ton. But I have a few skeins of things that I've spun, and I just really wanted to get knitting with some hand spun, and I wasn't ready to start those socks just yet. So I pulled out a skein of yarn that I spun from Rolex. I think I may have done this during a tour de fleece a few years ago. I named the Colorway Valentino. It's a lot of pinks and greens, and... It's about a heavy fingering sport weight yarn, 350 some yards, and I started looking for some potential patterns that I could cast on. I went to the Solidarity Swap group and looked in their list of designers, and you can do an advanced search in there. So I looked for some accessories, and I found a cowl called Morning Fog. It's by Yuko Shimizu, and it's a beautiful cowl with lots of rib and fringe. And I just thought it would be perfect. It would be a really easy project, not too much thinking, and it could be easily adjustable, if I ran out of yarn or found out I had more than enough yarn. The project calls for about 300 yards of DK weight yarn knit on US 7 needles. Since my yarn is finer, I decided to use US 5 needles, and I'm glad I did. I really like the fabric that it's creating. I cast on just a few more stitches than called for, and it's so far knitting up really beautifully and is a lot of fun. So I think this this will probably become a gift. And if I like it as much as I do right now, I may even make a few of these and dip into some of my other hand spun as well. So once again, that's Morning Fog a cowl with fringe by Yuko Shimizu. She also has a sweater design that is made to coordinate with this cowl so that it can look like you have a turtleneck cowl. It's pretty clever. Um, And I am knitting it with my hand spun, some of my hand spun on US 5 needles. I have also, in the days since my previous episode, picked up Yell again and really began to knit with gusto. I completed an entire repeat of the two-color motif, which is sort of two bands of the motif, and then I followed the directions to install Steak's. For the sleeves. So it's some extra stitches that are cast on uh, in order to accommodate the armhole openings which you cut into and pick up later on. This is my first time knitting a steaked garment and when I did my cast on and planned for the bottom of the sweater, Yell is an all-over colorwork sweater by Marie Wallen knit from the bottom up I added additional stitches for the front steak because I had read some project notes that said you know the five that she allowed is a little bit skimpy so my front steak space is nine stitches and then I was planning to do seven stitches for the armholes but then I didn't I forgot And then my stitch counts didn't exactly work out, which I don't understand at all because I have stitch markers for every repeat, and I understood how they should be placed. I wasn't just blindly following the directions. I actually got the concept that I was supposed to be following. But when I counted my stitches, I was a few stitches off. I don't know. I just went with it. I continued knitting. And about two rounds later, I decided to add a few stitches to my steek. So even though I didn't initially make it five stitches, make it seven stitches rather, I added stitches so that I now have a seven stitch space. I don't know if the crucial part is the beginning. And in that case, maybe I didn't do anything to improve the width of the steak. but anyway, it sort of soothed my mind at the moment and helped me get through my mid-project anxiety. I was having crazy mid-project anxiety. All of a sudden, it seemed like the sweater is going to be too big. Um, I'm not sure about these steak placements. My stitch count is off. I didn't make the steek spaces big enough. Everything, I just started to have uh, general malaise about the knit and feel like, I don't know, I, maybe I should be backing out of the project or maybe I should be, I, I just didn't know. I had all kinds of questions and everything seemed unresolved. So I just put it down, went to bed, and the next day it didn't seem quite so ominous So I just kept knitting, and I would really like now to, um, you know, keep going on the knitting. I'm not starting any other large project so that when I sit down to knit, I'm very likely to knit on Yell and keep making progress with these large motifs. They're not as exciting as all the color work, and it can be kind of a slog. The other thing is there are several rows for each motif where I need to carry the floats and it, I don't know, it's just not as much fun as when you're switching off colors every three to five stitches and kind of keeps you going throughout. So I think I need to knit three more pattern repeats of chart C before I start binding off or doing I think there's like a little bit of shaping that happens before the closure for the shoulders and I think that's three more motifs and then the sleeves I think will go quite quickly and I'm really excited to get back to using all those colors in the color work on the sleeves so it's going It's going. I'm making progress, and I'm really glad I'm picking that up again because I kept looking at it in my basket, and it wasn't getting anywhere. It wasn't going any further, but now I'm making progress almost every day. And so forth. Today will be entirely devoted to sewing following my recording of this podcast, and I will begin by completing the hem of my most recent version of the Farrow dress from Grainline Studios. This is my third time making the dress. I have only made the sleeveless version. I don't care for the way the sleeves look on this dress and I feel like the sleeveless option is more versatile as a layering piece. In my previous version, the second dress I made, I made some adjustments including lengthening the armhole opening, expanding um, and lengthening the neckline opening, and lengthening the skirt of the dress. This time I kept all of those changes and I added um, the shaping of the pockets so that one of the features of this beautiful dress is that it has lovely deep pockets and they're kind of designed to accommodate an iPhone, really. There's sort of these narrow channels in the dress. And I saw when I was looking at maybe Instagram, I was looking at some different versions. I saw that someone had changed the shape of the pocket in order to accommodate a hand and I thought, oh, that's such a more generous pocket. You have all this room to play with in the pattern um, that you don't really need to follow the directions for the, the channel-shaped pocket. So in this version, I kept one channel-shaped pocket so I can put my iPhone in my pocket if it fits perfectly. And the other pocket accommodates a hand more comfortably it's not a channel it's sort of like more like a traditional pocket bag after I cut the dress I was looking again at all the pharaoh dresses on Instagram and I saw that some sewists had converted the dress to a maxi length and I thought oh because I had additional fabric The fabric that I'm using for this dress is a beautiful, lightweight cotton dobby from India. I purchased it at Delectable Mountain Cloth in Brattleboro, Vermont when I traveled there with Samuel for a show that he did. And I looked up to see if there were any fabric or yarn shops in Brattleboro. And this place is just a gold mine of very interesting fabrics. There's a lot of upholstery. There's a lot for, I would say, wedding, um, beautiful laces and silks and things like that. Uh, I didn't see any quilting cotton in the entire place. There was also some gorgeous linen that tempted me. But I picked this cotton dobby because I thought it was like a perfect summer weight fabric it's in a quite subdued brown color but I believe the cloth is yarn dyed so the warp is a steel blue color and the weft is brown I believe and then there are some in a very regular pattern there are these little bumps on the surface of the fabric so it has a bit of texture to it, but extremely lightweight. It's also not very wide. I think it's only, after laundering, I think it was only 41 inches wide. So it can be a challenge to accommodate a garment sometimes on a fabric like that. You end up having a lot of waste. Um, one thing about the faro dress is that it's in four pieces. And there's only one thing that's cut on the fold. So you can accommodate um, narrower fabrics, I think, with this design. And it was also not directional. So I had enough for cutting the dress. And then I also have enough for like a really, I think it would make a beautiful Ogden cami or some sort of summer weight top. But I could have gone maxi with it. Anyway, it started making me think about a fourth version of this dress. Recently, when I was at a local, I'm really blessed that in my town, there are two fabric stores. Neither one really caters to garment fabrics, but there can be some interesting finds at the ribbon factory. And sometimes they'll get a bolt of something. It will often maybe be damaged or irregular in one place, but have an amazing price. So I found um, some beautiful wool blend in there in a black. I found some really interesting knits. And this past week, I found some gorgeous cotton flannel in black and red. And I bought, I think, almost all of it. And I was thinking about a version of the pharaoh dress that maybe I could wear with Yell. In Marie Wallen's beautiful books, her model wears lovely plaid garments with the knitwear. And I was thinking about a plaid skirt or a plaid sleeveless dress to pair with Yell. I'm not sure if the red and black is a little too bold for the colors in the sweater I'm knitting, Um, and I'm not sure if I want to really do all that pattern matching, but maybe with black flannel for the top and then the red and black for the bottom, that could be beautiful. Or maybe the reverse. Maybe I could put the, the um, plaid at the top and then the skirt is just the plain. Something to think about turning that over and over in my mind. And one of the reasons I would even consider so many versions of this dress is that it's so beautiful. The lines of it are wonderful. The pattern directions are very clear. And... The way the pattern is designed, you get these four beautiful, kind of mitered corners, deep, wonderful pockets, um, and a really nice shape to the dress. And now, with my adjustments, lengthening the neckline and especially the underarms, which I think are, I think the armholes for this um, design are very, very tight. Um, And so, I can't abide anything. Hinging under my arm, so I really needed to do the work to lengthen those, and then also, very important, corresponding lengthening the facing pieces so that you have enough fabric to put your facings in. So that's great, and uh, by the end of the day, I'll have a finished dress, and I will also be working today on drafting a pair of wide leg pants. Cal Patch has a new class on the Creative Bug platform, Draft and Sew Wide Leg Pants, and you use your own measurements as well as some measurements you can take from a favorite pair of pants from your closet to um, create your own design. It includes pockets and an elastic waistband. I have fabric that I think will work beautifully for pants. I'm just not sure of the yardage. One thing that the video does not review is figuring out how much fabric you need and also how to cut the pattern from your fabric once you draft everything. So I'm Sort of going to have to muddle along through that part and see if once I complete the draft on paper um, and lay it out on my fabric, if I have enough. If not, I'll look in my stash for something else or perhaps place an order. But I think this will be a really nice addition to my wardrobe. I have not made pants to my knowledge. I still have uh, that beautiful pair of Merchant and Mills pants that I would like to make, but they're more trousers with a lot of finishing detail. So this could be a good warm-up act for pants. Um, Eventually, I would love to make jeans, but I think getting a few less sophisticated versions of pants um, completed would be an important first step. So once again, the items that I mentioned in this episode are Morning Fog, a fringed cowl by Yuko Shimizu, Yell by Marie Wallen. It's a um, all-over colorwork sweater design that is steeked up the front and for the armholes. And I mentioned the Farrow Dress by Greenline Studios and Draft and Sew Your Own Wide Like Pants, by Cal Patch on the Creative Bug platform. For Off the Shelf this week, I'm sharing a poem by Edna St. Vincent Millay. I don't usually gravitate toward poetry in form, but I think Millay's works are an important exception because... She really had a knack for combining a modern sensibility. Modern at the time was 1920s. She won the Pulitzer in 1923. So she combined these modern sensibilities with very traditional forms and was a master of the sonnet. So this poem titled, She Had Forgotten How the August Night... Uh, is a sonnet. You can sort of listen for the rhyme, um, but the way she builds the cadences, I think, are more reminiscent of contemporary speech. It also references insects, and I think an August poem is not complete unless it references somewhere the nearly oppressive sound of insects in the night. She had forgotten how the August night was level as a lake beneath the moon, in which she swam a little, losing sight of shore, and how the boy, who was at noon simple enough, not different from the rest, wore now a pleasant mystery as he went, which seemed to her an honest enough test whether she loved him, and she was content. So loud, so loud, the million crickets choir. So sweet the night, so long, drawn out, and late. And if the man were not her spirit's mate, why was her body sluggish with desire? Stark on the open field, the moonlight fell, but the oak tree's shadow was deep and black and secret as a well.